Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going on everyone? My name is Andy. Welcome back to another FPL video. In this one, it's the Game Week 2 preview, so I'm going to go through a bunch of your questions and give you my thoughts and opinions. If you do enjoy the video, make sure to give it a like, hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already, and if you want to check out Fancy Football Hub, all the links you need are in the description below. So nice and simple question to start us off. Is Double Man United attack still worth it? And I am someone that owns both Rashford and Fernandez, so I'm a little bit worried. I think the most frustrating thing for me is neither of these players played well whatsoever. And you could pretty much say that about the whole Man United team against Wolves. And sometimes you'll see a performance, for example, Eze against Sheffield United in game week one. Most people would agree he played pretty well, was probably a little bit unlucky not to get at least one attack in return. And of course, if you're an owner of Eze, that's still incredibly frustrating. But at least you know if he keeps performing like that, the return should eventually come. Whereas if you watch the Wolves game, you're wondering whether Rashford or Fernandes are ever going to score or assist again. And of course, that's crazy talk. There's a reason that a lot of people went for, uh, you know, at least one of these players, if not both. And we shouldn't change our opinions massively after one game. But maybe this Man United team is going to take a little while to get going. They got a new goalkeeper, slightly different way of playing. Mason out in midfield instead of Christian Eriksen. They signed a new striker, but he's not fit. It might take another two, three, four games until they really start clicking and get those attacks working properly. Because from watching the game, there were times when they won the ball high up. They just didn't really do anything with it. Garnacho in particular, really bad decision making. There was one time that really sticks out from the first half where Anthony won the ball quite high up the pitch, like near the penalty box. Garnacho took it. He could have passed right to Fernandez, who was in space. Didn't do that. He went left. Rashford was in space, in and around the penalty box. And he didn't make that pass either. And those kind of things kept happening. So I think there's only minor details that Ten Hag has to work on to get this going. But obviously, there are a lot of money compared to other options in midfield. So I get why people are thinking about getting rid. In terms of the stats from that game, Rashford... Per 90 minutes, 0.22 expected goals, 0.14 expected assists. That is pretty low for him. Fernandez was even worse. 
0.01 expected goals, basically nothing, and 0.11 expected assists. Now, going into this game, there was a lot of talk about whether Fernandez or Mason Mount would be more advanced. In terms of positioning, when Man United did have the ball and they were going forward, it didn't really worry me about where Fernandez was on the pitch. I know he didn't get any returns and the stats look bad, but I wouldn't say he was playing this massively deeper role because of Mason Mount. If anything, he was in similar positions that he normally would be. Now, potentially going forward, that might change because Mount is the deeper player. I'm not sure quite works, but it is only one game, so probably not something to massively worry about. Rashford through the middle definitely didn't work. There are times when he does well as a striker, but he probably needs a defence that's playing a high line so he can use his pace to get in behind. I think when it's a team like Wolves, where Man United are going to dominate the ball for most of the game, and he's got two centre-backs up against him, it just doesn't really work, and that was definitely the case last night. And Garnacho, I don't want to single players out here. He's done really well, especially off the bench for Man United last year, but as a starter, I'm not sure it's quite there yet. So Rashford needs to move that side, but the problem is someone else has to play central, Ten Hag talked up Sancho in that kind of role pre-season. Even when he brought Sancho on against Wolves, he didn't play him central. Martial's never fit and Hoyland's not fit either. So that is a bit of a concern. I think against Spurs, Rashford might play up front again. And that might not be ideal unless Spurs kind of come out and play. In which case, he might be able to go and get you, hopefully, a goal, if not two. I think Anthony and Mount as well, just in attack, just weren't great. I think we need one of Sancho, Martial, Hoyland to play there. To allow Rashford to play in his preferred position. What I will say in general. And I think I could say this about pretty much any player that's likely to start and isn't injured. I wouldn't make rash decisions. And there's no pun intended there. After one game week. Like if anything. Both Man United and Spurs. Will probably do better in game week two than they did in game week one. Like for Spurs. I know they got two goals against Brentford. But they were quite an organised team. And they also conceded two as well. And I just don't see how Man United can play as badly as they did against Wolves. And if you look at the fixtures coming up, Spurs away, Forest at home. Then it's Arsenal away, Brighton at home. Burnley away, Palace at home. Now, to be fair, I always think fixtures can be framed depending on how you look at them. So you might say next three, Spurs away, Arsenal away, not great. But I think you give them Spurs, you give them Forest, and then you decide what to do with them. Because if they're still playing badly and Hoyland's not fit, etc., and then you see Arsenal away, Brighton at home. Maybe you do come off the double up. But for me, I'm going to be sticking, getting a week's more information than going into game week three with two free transfers. And I guess the other question you've got to ask yourself, are the alternatives guaranteed points? One player that I've seen come up a lot is Fernandez to Madison. And look, Man United at home may be easier based on what happened against Wolves than Spurs away. But is that a transfer you really need to make this week? I would say probably not. So super disappointing game week one, but let's give them at least one more week before we make rash decisions. All it will take is for Fernandez to get a dodgy penalty, Rashford to score on a counter transition, and all of a sudden we want to keep them because they got Forrest at home in game week three. So lots of people have asked this question, which goalkeeper would you start in game week two? Anana against Spurs away or Turner against Sheffield United at home? And right now, I'm probably leaning more towards starting Nottingham Forest goalkeeper instead of Man United. So when you say that out loud, it does sound crazy, but I think it's worth considering. 
We already spoke about the Man United attack with Fernandes and Rashford, but the defence was really bad as well. They were extremely lucky not to concede against Wolves. They gave up 2.1 expected goals. That's the fourth worst in game week one out of all teams in the league. And they conceded the third most amount of shots. Bearing in mind, they should have conceded a stonewall penalty as well. So they were lucky that Wolves didn't score. And I just look at the fixtures. Which one's harder? Wolves at home or Spurs away? Well, it's definitely Spurs away. And if they can get as many chances as Wolves did, the likes of Son, Richarlison and Madison aren't going to miss that much. So I think a Man United clean sheet is going to be quite hard to come by in game week two. On the flip side, Forrest conceded twice to Arsenal. Bearing in mind they were playing away from home, but they actually only conceded 0.8 expected goals, which is pretty decent. Now, this again is only a one-game sample. We know based on last season the Nottingham Forest defence isn't fantastic, but that is quite promising. And now they're going to go and face a Sheffield United attack that only put up 0.5 XG against Crystal Palace. So I think if you're having to play Spurs away or Forest, uh, sorry, Sheffield United at home, you definitely prefer to go for Sheffield United and based on how Man United played in that first game I definitely think Spurs will score I'm not saying Spurs will win the game but I just can't see how Man United don't concede so right now I'm recording this on Tuesday the video and podcast is going to go out on Wednesday I am leaning more towards Turner the only thing I would say this is one of those decisions where if after game week two Anana's got a clean sheet and a few saves and Turner has conceded I know exactly what you're going to say to yourself well, obviously, why would you back Nottingham Forest over Man United? And it is one of those decisions that can make you feel stupid. But going into game week two, just ask yourself which team you think is more likely to keep a clean sheet. And I think it probably is Nottingham Forest. And that's why I'd probably go for Turner. But for what it's worth, I don't have this decision. I've got Pickford against Villa away or Turner against Sheffield United at home. It's a much easier decision for me. If you wanted to play Anana, no issues with that whatsoever. But I'm going to probably stick with Turner. So is Alvarez a must-have now that De Bruyne isn't available? And for anyone that's missed this news, Pep Guardiola held a press conference ahead of the Super Cup. And he said, Kevin De Bruyne's injury is a serious one. He will be out for a few months. We have to decide in the next days on surgery, but for sure we will lose Kevin for some time. So obviously that's a big blow for Man City. And the expectation would be that Alvarez's minutes will go up, probably Foden as well, but I'll talk about him in a minute. And obviously that's a good sign for FPL, but the transfer window is still open up until about game week four, I think. So I wouldn't put it past Man City going out and getting another player or two through the door to help manage this situation. In terms of talent and skill set, it's basically impossible to replace De Bruyne, but they might be able to get some players through the door that could help them. So there's that to keep an eye on, which means I probably wouldn't rush out to buy players like Alvarez against Newcastle. It is worth saying the fixtures Man City have are great. That's why loads of us wanted more than just Haaland in our teams. I didn't go with any in the end, but plenty of people did. They got Newcastle at home game week two, Sheffield United away game week three, Fulham at home game week four, then it's West Ham away, Forest at home, Wolves away. Outside of probably Newcastle at home in game week two, the next tough fixture is really game week eight, which is Arsenal away. So there's every reason to be looking at Man City players. The only thing for Alvarez is because it's Man City and Pep Guardiola, I'm still not sure I'd be 100% confident that he's going to start every single game. And also, I'm not sure he's as good in that number eight role, which is where he would play without De Bruyne, compared to when he plays as a number nine. Like if Haaland was to get injured, I think I'd try and get Alvarez into my team pretty quick. 
but as a number eight it doesn't have quite that excitement factor where for 6.5 million with the fixtures they've got he's still a really good option but do, do i need to go out of my way to get him when i've got someone like watkins in my team lots of you have got Jao pedro or nicholas jackson or someone like that do you need to replace them straight away for alvarez like answering the question is he a must-have i would say probably not does he become a much better option yes are his minutes absolutely guaranteed and his starts and stuff like that probably not so must have no better option yes will i be rushing out to get him definitely not in terms of foden people keep saying this is going to help him as well and in a roundabout way it does because you've got one less player that can be in the start and 11 but for all the talk from pep guardiola about how good foden can play centrally it doesn't happen that often right even against burnley when he started he started on the left instead of Grealish, and I think into that game, he then moved over to the right. He doesn't necessarily play central. Now, everybody else that's not Pep Guardiola knows and thinks that he'll be brilliant in that role, and it might be what Pep has got in, uh, in mind, but it's, there's, it's that thing about actions speaking louder than words. It's all well and good that Pep keeps saying that Foden can play central, but unless he plays them there regularly... I've got to question whether he really thinks that. So, again, if Foden and Alvarez get regular minutes in that Man City team, they will be great. But you've got to be pretty sure that's going to happen, even without De Bruyne. And I come back to that point that I kept making pre-season. It's not like the prices of all other players are really hard to get to. So Alvarez at 6.5, fantastic. But Nicholas Jackson, you know, is going to be playing number nine for Chelsea with incredible fixtures as well, will only cost you 0.5 million more. And again, is Alvarez going to be as good as a number eight? So for me, they're not must-have. I will say subconsciously, I have, or kind of bias-wise, I've told myself to avoid minutes risks. So maybe that's part of my answer. But yeah, I just I just don't know what it is. I just don't see them as must-have, even with the fixtures they've got. But I might change my tune after they smash Newcastle. So is Robert Sanchez a good goalkeeper shout over Jordan Pickford? If we assume that Sanchez is going to be the number one goalkeeper from now until game week 38 and you're asking me who I think is going to score the more points, then I would say Sanchez over Pickford, because I would back Chelsea over Everton, and I think Sanchez can still get save points and stuff like that anyway. If you're asking me if I think this is a good transfer for game week two, then I would say absolutely not. As I've mentioned a few times now, the transfer window is still open, Kepper has gone on loan to Real Madrid, it's almost certain that Chelsea will need to buy a new goalkeeper. Now the goalkeeper they buy... It might be really obvious that that's just the number two and that Sanchez is going to be the number one, but who would put it past Chelsea with the money they spend not to go and buy someone that is direct competition for that number one shirt? And I just think that information is way more valuable than making an early transfer on Pickford to Sanchez, especially if you've got someone like Turner on the bench anyway, because you can just play them against Sheffield United in game week two. And in game week three... Sanchez has got Luton at home and Pickford's got Wolves at home. There's not a huge amount of difference between those fixtures. And of course, I would back Chelsea to get a clean sheet over Everton. But if I had to play Pickford in that game, it's really not the end of the world. And we've seen how big of a score goalkeepers can get if they get a little bit lucky. Take game week one. Man United should have conceded. They should have had a penalty against them. And yet Onana ends up with nine points. Likewise, in the Everton-Fulham game... Fulham gave up way more chances than Everton did, yet it's Leno that comes away with a clean sheet and not Pickford. Bearing in mind that Everton scored, in my opinion, a perfectly good goal as well. And yet Leno comes away with 12 points and Pickford too. So 4.5 million goalkeepers can quickly rack up a decent score. 
And that's something Pickford would be capable of in game week three, maybe game week four as well. And at that point, you can see what's happened in the transfer window and decide whether or not you want to go for Sanchez. For what it's worth, this is a move that I've got my eye on. There's a lot of Chelsea players that I'm interested in. But if I don't want to go for the James Chilwell double up in defence... I could just stick with Chilwell and go for the goalkeeper instead. Obviously, if Reese James goes on a run where he gets loads of attacking returns, I'll have preferred to pay that extra money. But if it's just clean sheet points, then obviously you can get the Chelsea goalkeeper for a lot less than you can get those Chelsea fullbacks. So I am interested in this. And if I could pick again and I knew Sanchez was number one, then I would definitely start with him in my game week one squad. But we're past that now. We've got to think about transfers moving forward. And this just isn't a good move for me in game week two. So would I sell John Stones this week or just bench him? Now, this is a difficult question to answer on an individual basis because I would need to see everyone's teams. But I'll try and answer it broadly. If I had three defenders that looked likely to get a clean sheet and or an attack and return in game week two, I would probably bench him and then reassess ahead of game week three with my two transfers and with more information. Now, annoyingly, from what I could see anyway, Pep Guardiola didn't really speak about him ahead of the Super Cup, but there will be another press conference ahead of the Newcastle game, so you might even get your information there, and that might change what you do with him. If he's ruled out for a couple of weeks, I'd probably just move him on to someone like a Chelsea defender instead. If he says he's better, he might play then that's probably where the benching comes in and then reassess ahead of game week three. But what I think is interesting is the rumour for Stones is he's just got a small knock. It's nothing major. And it kind of shows that Pep would rather rest him than risk him. Like, especially this early on in the season, it's probably not worth making that injury worse because John Stones is such a big part in terms of how Man City play. Whereas if it was Van Dyke at Liverpool and he had a small knock, and Klopp said, yeah, he's probably going to be back, you'd almost certainly expect him to start. And this is the problem with Man City players. That if there is a slight knock there, there are so many other centre-backs that can just play instead. And this is part of the reason that I didn't start with a Man City player, because you just go through this week in, week out. So if you're a big Man City defender believer, because they are great for clean sheets, they are the best defence in the league, you should definitely do what you can to keep hold of him. But if you're going to get to next week and still be concerned, and then game week four, even if he started two and three, still be worrying about whether he's going to play in game week four, I just feel like the headache isn't worth it. They are the best defense, but it's not like any of their defenders are particularly attacking. So if you're keen to get a Chelsea defender in this week, for example, because you haven't got one, I don't see a huge issue with just selling stones, especially if he's still a slight doubt. But I think the, the, the call that most people should make this week and you might be seeing a pattern here, is probably just to roll the transfer, especially if you've got three other good defenders, and just go into game week three with two frees. So do you think Colwell or Dezazi will become worthwhile going forwards? This will be alongside Chilwell or James. Now, I kind of already touched on this with the Sanchez question. I do think there's a chance that one of Chilwell or James, plus a 4.5 defensive option from Chelsea, might end up being better value than going Chilwell and James, depending on how you spend that extra money. You'll know from watching my videos, I do like Chilwell and James, and that probably is the route I will go. But I am open to going for a 4 4.5 instead the problem is i don't think that liverpool game has really helped us we know from what pochettino said chilwell was basically playing as a left winger so the back four was colwell left back 
and then Thiago Silva Dizazi, and then Reese James right back. So we don't know who is nailed on. I know what people are going to say in the comments, especially Chelsea fans. Carwell is nailed on, and that's going to continue. But I don't think anyone can guarantee that, because if Pochettino, especially for the easier games, goes to a back four with James and Chilwell, if they can remain fit, then you've got Colwell and Badi Ashida when he's back, who are both left-footed centre-backs. Then you've got Dezazi, who was thrown straight into a game against Liverpool. That's how much Pochettino must rate him. And Thiago Silva's still going to get minutes. And there's nothing to say that they couldn't play with two left-footed centre-backs or even two right-footed centre-backs. So that is my worry about picking one of these 4.5 million defenders. They are good value if they continue playing. But is it worth the risk? when you can just get a player that you know when is fit and available is going to start every single game. And I'm not even necessarily talking about James and Chilwell here. I'm thinking about players like Botman and Newcastle. Most people are not going to use a transfer on a Chelsea 4.5 this week. So if you're looking ahead, you're maybe looking game week three or four, looting at home, Forest at home. That could be good. But from game week five onwards, you could possibly argue that a Newcastle defender is better. Botman is the same price as both of them. And from game week five, he's got Brentford at home, Sheffield United away, Burnley at home, West Ham away, Palace at home, etc. And unless Caicedo makes an instant impact on that Chelsea defence, based on last year, you'd probably rather back the Newcastle one anyway. So I am fully open to going for a 4.5 if someone can guarantee me who's nailed on. The problem is I don't think anyone can do that. And I already know the answer will be Colwell. But I don't think it's a guarantee that he will start every single game from now, even until like game week 10, because they've got so many options. And I think Pochettino is the kind of manager that's not against having to change things around for certain matchups and stuff like that. So I think right now, if I was going to go for a 4.5, it would probably be Sanchez. But as I've already discussed, I'd rather wait and see what happens once the transfer window shut. So would you transfer in Liverpool attackers this week? As we know, they've got Bournemouth at home or just go without. Now, the four players I'm going to concentrate on here are Nunez, Diaz, Jota and Gakpo. I think we covered Salah enough during pre-season and he'll probably come up in final thoughts on Friday anyway. So these are the four that I'm going to think about. Now, if you can nail the correct attacker against Bournemouth. There's obviously a lot of points on offer, but part of the reason to bring someone in would be with a long-term view to hold on to them. This early on in the season, I would not be using a transfer to bring in a Liverpool player for Bournemouth at home, only to then transfer them straight out for game week three. It's just not worth it. So if you're thinking longer term, part of the question about who to bring in is who's going to get the most minutes. And the answer to that question is really difficult. And I thought the same pre-season. And I'm not sure we know much more after one game against Chelsea. Obviously, Salah's going to get the most minutes. But from the rest of them, it's really difficult to know. And when I look at the fixtures, obviously Bournemouth at home, fantastic. But straight after that, it's Newcastle away. That is much more difficult. And then you've got Villa at home, Wolves away, West Ham at home, Spurs away in the four game weeks after newcastle away are they really difficult no but are they so good you need a liverpool attacker i would say probably not so i don't think it's worth the headache and i do not think it's worth using a transfer in and then a transfer straight back out obviously from what we saw against chelsea it was diaz on the left jota through the middle salah on the right gakpo filling in as a number eight because liverpool do have problems with the numbers in midfield is that going to be the same lineup against bournemouth Probably not. I mean, it could be, but Klopp might look at it and think, well, it's a home game, easier fixture than Chelsea away. I don't need Gakpo in that midfield. I'll go for someone else. 
Gakpo can go back to playing as a number nine, but that would mean that one of Jota or Diaz would miss out because only one of them can play on the left. Is that likely to happen? I don't know, but it's possible. Klopp might also look at it and think, I don't need Gakpo's pressing abilities. I'm going to go for the chaos that Nunez causes instead. Bournemouth at home is the perfect uh, fixture for him. Well, that would be great for him for game week two. But long term, do I expect him to continue to start? Not necessarily. That would also mean that Gakpo is not an option for game week two. And again, only one of Diaz or Jota would start on the left. Now, if you're saying to me, you've got to pick one of these for this week, I'd have to hesitate. I just do not know who I'd go for. Probably Jota, because he started number nine against Chelsea. And even if he doesn't play there, he could play on the left instead. And his underlying numbers are fantastic. But ultimately, whichever one of these players plays in the front three has got a great chance of getting points. I guess Diaz on the left is more likely than Jota just because Jota's played through the middle the last couple of games. But I'm just guessing. And this is the problem for me. It's just not worth the headache. So should you transfer Liverpool players in? Obviously, that's completely up to you depending on the type of manager you are. I fully get that people want uh, kind of players from Liverpool for Bournemouth at home. Would I transfer them in? I'm probably just going to ignore them. Salah, maybe if Haaland got injured or something like that. But I'm very likely to go into game week two with no Bournemouth players. Is that a mistake? And am I going to fall behind? Probably for game week two. But I would hope that after that, I would start to gain the points back. If you enjoyed that video, make sure to give it a like. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't done so already. Make sure to rate five stars if you're listening on podcast. And if you haven't checked out Fantasy Football Hub, all the links you need are in the description below. I'll catch you again tomorrow. Sports Social Podcast Network.